Welcome back. Steve here. And today, Brian Gorman of TransformingLives.coach is my guest. We're talking about coaching, understanding change, and leadership. You are going to love this conversation. Oh, so much to learn. Could, by the way, before you go, could you do me a favor? If you like what you heard, how about a five-star review and maybe some good comments? Hmm? You could leave it on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, yeah, Podbean, any of the podcast platforms that I'm on. That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to share and enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Through decades of experience in guiding organizations through change, Brian Gorman has learned that it isn't organizations that change, it's people. His understanding of the change journey and how to move through it has successfully served global corporations as well as solopreneurs and everything in between. One of the co-owners of the 4-Day Workweek trademark, Brian has a deep understanding of today's disrupted business environment and what is required to successfully lead into the future. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you on the show and say hi to everyone. Stephen, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. And uh, Brian, let's start by talking about you as a coach. Your website is titled transforminglives.coach. What do you mean when you talk about the role of a coach? The role of a coach is really to be a partner with my client, to help them become everything they want to be, to help them, uh, in some cases, identify what their passion is, um, and then to figure out how to actually live into that. Very cool. The, uh, you know, it's when people, the, the terms used so loosely, I want to make sure that we talk about uh, what it is that you're talking about. And, uh, um, and you know, after looking through your articles, website, listening to your podcasts, and more on that soon, by the way, we're going to get to, the, get to them. The, uh, let's talk about change. Could you explain what change means to you and why leaders should explore getting comfortable with the idea of change? Change is a disruption in our expectations. So... It could be we get up in the morning and hit the light switch and the light doesn't go on. That's a change. We have to figure out how to deal with it. Could be I live in Hoboken, New Jersey. Change hit us two days ago when a water main broke and the city of 50-some thousand people was without water. Wow. For almost two days, we're now still under a water boil advisory. That's change. Um, Change is... I became a doctor because my father was a doctor and my grandfather was a doctor and I am not a doctor. I really want to be a performing artist or a lawyer or whatever that's change. So anything that disrupts our expectations disrupts the routine and it can be from minor, the light bulb burned out to transformational, a whole new way of, uh, living. Awesome. So one of the things I, I've seen you talk about or heard you talk about or mention is the role of story in change. And I was wondering if you could kind of take us down that path. Absolutely. We, as human beings, are story processors. We're not logic processors. 
we had story before we had language. Would draw stories in the dirt or painted on on uh, animal hides or, or on cave walls and rocks. The human mind processes story the same as the lived event. That's why reading a good book, a well written book, or, or or seeing a well performed play or or television show or movie, we feel the emotion because our brains process story the same as the lived event. So that's where I begin with story. Um, the next piece of it for me gets us into in more deeply into the neuroscience. Not every neuroscientist uses the same language. They all agree on the, the facts. In our hearts are the same motor neurons and sensory neurons as in our heads, in our cephalic brain, the brain in our head. In our gut, between our esophagus and the other end of the digestive tract, are about as many motor neurons and sensory neurons as in a cat's brain. And the structure of the vagus nerve, which is what communicates between head, heart, and gut, is such that about 90% of that communication is upward. So whether you call it the cardiac brain, the cardiac neural network, the cardiac cluster, the enteric brain, the enteric enteric network, the, the gut brain, whatever, um, our heart is about passion, compassion, and values. We know when somebody's heart is isn't in, isn't into what they're doing. Our gut is about courage. It's about self-protection. It's about who we are at our core. You're in a situation where your gut tells you something's wrong. That's not woo-woo. That's real. That's real neuroscience. So. To bring that back to the question of story, Stephen, where I begin with my clients who are looking to make a transformation is whether literally or figuratively the question, what makes your heart sing? What are you passionate about? Then we create story, but it's not a story about in five years, I'm going to go from being a doctor to being a stage actor because that's all up in the head. It's, I can't believe I just opened on Broadway. I had to do this and this and this and this. I had to overcome these obstacles, and I'm here. It's a head, heart, gut story. It's a story that engages our emotions. And what that story does is it actually begins to build new neural networks. Because, again, the brain processes story the same as the lived event. So we're telling our brain what it's going to be like when we achieve this. And now our unconscious begins to tune in more to those things that will help us achieve that and bring them to our consciousness. So long answer, but that's how I begin with story. Oh, that's an awesome answer. The, uh, so, so that makes me have to ask this, because one of the things I wanted to get into talking about with you is, is a little bit leading the conversation of change in, into um, some stuff with leadership. But I'm just going to go there right now, because I got um, you start you know, with you talking about the, the head, heart, and gut. So let's talk about why a leader should listen to their head, heart, and gut. I mean, why, why would 
why does that make that type of you know an impact because it's it's awesome what you're describing and and it also says a lot about why we should listen to that little voice or whatever um, it, that's happening in us. Why, why should a leader pay attention? It's a part of our wisdom. I'm, I'm not sure how else to say it. Um, you know, the numbers tell me one thing. That's up in my prefrontal cortex. But my gut is telling me that something is going to be changing that I'm not seeing the numbers. That doesn't mean that I ignore the numbers, but it also means I shouldn't ignore my gut. That's so cool. Cause you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, it's hard to describe to people, but when you're in a role in a leadership role and you've been doing stuff and you would focus on whatever it is you're doing. And then suddenly you make a decision about something and someone says, well, what made you go that direction? And you say, well, I just had this feeling. <laughs> and it just you don't know how to describe it to someone and you say this is this is why and it's but it's not really <laughs> they they like you to be a little more concrete i guess is my point they, they would and the heart and gut don't have language <laughs> right they don't have the language you know um that i just i know it i feel it i you know i just can't describe it that's doesn't make it any less real that's so awesome because I've, I've had several of those types of moments where it's just, you just, you know, I've had these experiences, I've done this stuff, and this feels like that, and I'm going this way. And it's yeah. it, it's literally me listen, listening to you talk is, is me listening to my, my, the head, heart, and gut. And you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just what I'm doing. And uh, um, that's that's so powerful to, to know that because I think, I think sometimes people, I don't even know how to, I mean, I have no scientific study on this, but it just feels like sometimes colleagues just kind of push that aside because, you know, I, I can't listen to that voice. I mean, what it... I'm making a business decision here. I'm listening to the facts. It's all up in the head. Right. And you're, you're cutting out a piece of your wisdom. Um, I have one client that I work with who has Asperger's. And he literally will sit down and say, where does this decision belong? And he will have conversation with head and heart and gut or one or, or, or two of those three. Um, and, and he'll literally say, heart, shut up. <laughs> this is not a heart decision. This is a gut decision. Love that. <laughs> That's uh um, well, it's good to know that uh, um, having those conversations with yourself is not a bad thing. So it's like as you're, as you're listening there. So it's uh, the good thing is I would think is that you're listening to what, you know, whatever those clues are, they're saying something to you. If I can add just a little bit on that, Stephen, I've seen different studies. Um, the, the number I see most often is that head or, or I'm sorry, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch and intuition we receive about 11 million bits of data a second. Wow. Consciously, we can process 134 of them. <laughs> so our unconscious filters out what we don't want through. What's not front of mind, if you will. Uh, opening yourself up to your heart 
and your gut helps you shift those filters. That's like when COVID hit and people said, everything's changing. No, everything was not changing. But our consciousness was tuned into all that was changing. So let's look at what in our heart, what in our gut isn't changing. Our family, our relationships are still there. And maybe we want to change them to be even stronger during this period of discomfort. Um, you know, our gut that tells us that maybe we shouldn't be going to the basketball arena tonight. Um, maybe we should be listening to that. So sometimes we have to change those filters from our unconscious to open up to the other messages, the other bits of data that we're receiving and not quote thinking about. Very cool. I, it, you know, I um, appreciate you talking about that. I, I want to take us back and then we're going to come back into leadership again. If we could finish up kind of a little bit, something else with talking about change. Um, one of the things that I've, I've heard and listened to you uh, mention and talk about is you say that there's only one journey through change and we take it over and over again. Could you talk about what that is? I mean, and what that looks like and what, what you mean? If I'm not quoting Joseph Campbell, I'm paraphrasing him. For those who don't know who Joseph Campbell was, he was um, in the mid 20th century, a mythologist and a psychologist. And in, in part of his research, he began to look at, is there a pattern to, for example, creation myths across cultures across time? Is there a pattern to coming of age myths across cultures across time? And um, he, he wrote and spoke about this in a number of different places. Um, but what he discovered was that there was one pattern that underlies all of myth. And he called it the hero's journey. And those books and those movies that I was talking about before um, that really touch you, the Star Wars movies, for example, all of those are structured on the structure of the hero's journey. Um, I uh, co-facilitate a class on coaching skills for change management practitioners. And one of the early questions is why can there be a profession called change management? Well, there can be a profession called change management because in fact, there is a path through change and there are in, uh, predictable human responses uh, as you move along that path. So the catalyst may be different. The scale may be different, but whether I'm guiding Stephen through a change in his career or I'm guiding a global organization on its transformation, the people in that organization need to change and they're taking that same journey that Stephen is. That's awesome. I had, uh, you know, it's, uh, I hadn't thought about it in terms of uh, um, realizing that uh, in it, Education is one of the things that English teachers will tell you about. They teach, you know, the idea, the, the story, the hero's journey and in, in, in writing essays and things like this. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a cool thought. So it's good stuff. So, so what it, it, this is going to lead me to, to talking about uh, this. So, so let's kind of transition back into leadership again. 
and talk a little bit about because some things have happened over the last couple of years, uh, one of them being COVID. And, uh, you know, there's just other things that have gone on. And one of the things that's become kind of obvious is that um, when it comes to leadership, there's probably some change that needs to p- take place there. And one of the things that uh, um, I'd like you to kind of talk about is that, you know, leadership that's been practiced in the past has kind of been become or shown to be a little ineffective in, in, with today's world. Can you talk towards that? Absolutely. Um, I want to reference a conversation I had a, a while ago with Chris Argeris, or I'm sorry, Chris DeSantis. And Chris is the author of a book, Why I Find You Irritating. And the book is about intergenerational conflict at work. And there are a couple of important messages that, that um, Chris really emphasized in that book that, that are important to this conversation. The first is that intergenerational differences are real. The second is one of the mistakes we make is stereotyping everybody as they fit into their generation's box, if you will. The third mistake is we raise our children to fit into their generation. And then when they come into the workplace, we expect them to perform according to the norms of our generation. And that's not how they grew up. That's not how they were raised. That's not how we as parents raised them. So the workforce is changing. Um, Gallup did a study in about 2016 on how millennials want to work and live. And they identified six major cultural shifts that organizations would need to make from my paycheck to my purpose, from my boss to my coach, from my annual review to ongoing conversations and so forth. Those are some of the drivers of today's workforce and COVID really brought that home even outside of the younger generations. And as we look at why the great resignation, we're seeing people who who were, if not gladly, were dutifully sitting in the office until seven o'clock at night when their boss left and then going on a two hour commute back home and getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning to do a two hour commute back to the office. Um, Who post COVID was saying, wait, I hit my numbers. I did everything I was expected of me. Um, You trusted me to work from home. I don't want to live that way anymore. I discovered what it's like to have lunch with my kids, to go to the ballpark or the school play or whatever. And so COVID really activated the workforce and, and, served as a catalyst, COVID didn't cause the great uh, resignation, but it served as a catalyst for workers saying, there's a different way of life and that's what I want. You know, it's funny because when, you know, not so very long ago, every generation there, there becomes somebody names it something and they're, there becomes someone whose expertise is talking about generation gaps, you know, and things like this. And I think more than ever, 
it, it's just funny how some of this stuff is very, very visible now because of the, the technology that uh, um, many of the kids have grown up with and not n- known certain things. And, you know, everything from, uh, you know, when I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, there was, uh, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of TV watching. I mean, I grew up on all kinds of reruns from the sixties and, and, uh, and then stuff in the the seventies, my Saturdays were consumed with, especially Saturday mornings with, uh, the cartoon extravaganza and the cereal to go with it. And, and, you know, I only had like three, three real channels to choose from plus, plus an, you know, an expanded one, which was over there on that was a UHF dial or whatever. You cranked it over there and you could watch uh, uh, a couple different shows and so forth. And it's just funny because, uh, um, you know, as we get a little older and their time and the, um, I'm getting older and the, the kids that are coming through their time is consumed with something called streaming and, and, uh, games that, uh, um, are out there where they're all involved in talking to each other. They much prefer to do that as opposed to, um, as opposed to watching the channel, the regular channels, they're out there trying to figure out how they can get stuff for free <laughs> on some other, in, in some other ex- way, watching things that are out there that, uh, you know, just that their, their time is totally consumed in an electronic way almost that, you know, it's, uh, um, you have to understand that a little bit. And that's just one of the ways I think that a leader has to understand how they consume the, the yeah, world. Building on that, I'm sure you've met many leaders who say people need to get back in the office. That's how we build our culture. That's how we make strong relationships. And again, in, in talking with Chris and, and I echo his question out of leaders. I said, have you asked your younger employees what works for them? Because building on what you're saying, Stephen, they have relationships, some of which will last a lifetime around the globe with people they haven't met and never will meet. It's it's so amazing because, I mean, like just the technology that has us talking with each other right here, you know, I'm. I connect with people all over the all over the world. I've been talking to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, France, you know, all kinds of places in Europe. You know, it it's just amazing to me that uh, um, how easily we can make this happen now, which changes, you know, so much of our world of work because we can do that. Yeah. I mean, when you can have a, a a corporation have a have a team meeting where part of the team is in India and the other parts in, uh, you know, in in Florida, <laughs> the hours of difference there is just amazing. Um, who's staying up late to talk to the other person. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I very recently had a meeting with uh, a CEO in Los Angeles and then with his head of sales in Amsterdam, followed by his head of operations in the Philippines in three consecutive hours. Nice. <laughs> nice. It, it really will, kind of if you if you let it it will throw you for a loop when you think when you start thinking about now wait a second one of these people is in the future <laughs> you're experiencing what i'm soon going never mind <laughs> but uh, it's kind of funny that way you know yeah. um, so you know one of the things i i, I want to use this to talk about is i i heard you uh, um you have a couple of podcasts and uh, one of them is called uh, conversations and one of it's called it's doobie time and um i'd like to if you would kind of highlight a little bit about them. And then I want to ask you about something specific I heard on one of your podcasts recently, and I'd like us to talk about. Okay. Let me start with it's doobie time and I co-host it's doobie time. Um, I'm an multipreneur 
and one of my businesses is the Doobie Associates. The Doobie Associates is about what you need to do and who you need to be uh, to be successful in business. So my business partner in it's Doobie and the Doobie Associates is he defined Tony Carnese. He defines himself as a CPA in recovery. So he's all about policy, process, procedure, um, good financial reporting, all of those, you know, accurate inventory, on and on and on. And we all know ourselves as well as business owners, business leaders, that even though they know what they should be doing, we know what we should be doing. We don't always do it. And that's where the coach comes in. So I'm the B side of the doobie equation. Um, it's doobie time actually got launched shortly after COVID uh, because literally within weeks after COVID, we were granted the trademark here in the U.S. for four-day work week. And with COVID, there was not a whole lot of interest in suddenly looking at how we reduce the number of hours we're spending on the job. So it's doobie time really, again, it, it has evolved over time. Early on, its focus was on how do we change our business to live in this COVID world. Um, now it's more moved into and through the four-day work week, um, the, the great resignation hybrid, work from anywhere, et cetera, et cetera, and a lot of focus on leadership. Another of my jobs is I'm vice president for development or for program development and executive coach at Quantivos, which is a, a learning community with coaching at its core. And there I host the podcast conversations. Um, so it's doobie time focuses primarily on smaller business owners um, and, and, decision makers at at the small to medium business size level. Um, our clients at Quantivos are um, national, international, and global in scope. So just as one example, I'm coaching in a group coaching environment, the top five levels of a 10,000 employee division at Quantivos. So conversations really is bringing the wisdom of our coaches, all of whom are, are deeply experienced, as well as other experts to help everyone from frontline employees to the C-suite um, address the challenges that they're facing. That is awesome. And they're great conversations, uh, just as a note. I have to say this. Um, by the way, you want to make sure that uh, the listeners understand that uh, it's not a it's not a spelling error on my part when I put the names and the links to these podcasts and they will notice that conversations is spelled a little differently. Yeah. One of the quirks at Quantivos is we spell some keywords with a Q instead of a hard C or a K. So our newsletter is actually communicate nice. with a Q. Nice. nice. You'll also notice that um, Doobie is spelled D O hyphen B E. That is not a spelling mistake either. Gotcha. Yeah, very Even though when times are tough in business, it is doobie time. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to work that in, but uh, thanks. You did that for me. So <laughs> the, 
the uh, well, good stuff. I mean, on on one of your recent episodes, you got into a conversation with. Uh, um, boy, I made it sound bad. I, I didn't mean that. It was a great conversation that uh, led itself to talk about you know people who understood their purpose. And one of the things you talked about was understanding your purpose and really kind of a. Uh, they're, you know, having this positive mindset or outlook on what they're doing and what they're responsible for. I was wondering if we might be able to talk about that just a little bit, because, wow, that was a powerful uh, uh, discussion. Happy to talk about it. Um, it goes back to what I said early on. Um, if what I'm doing is a job, then depending on my work ethic, I may do a decent job. I may do a pretty good job, but my heart isn't in the job. And when we look at the level of workplace engagement and literally disengagement in the workplace, there's a lot of misalignment between purpose and the role that people are playing uh, in their jobs. And um, I'm going to come back and give you a couple of examples, but the, the message in that podcast and, and the message that I often share with leaders at all levels of the organization is if you can align why I get up in the morning, why I go into the workplace with what you need. I am going to be there for you. I'm their heart as well as head and hands. And in doing that, you're beginning to tackle some of those really significant management leadership challenges. Productivity. Engagement retention and turnover, being fully present in, in the work. If I'm going into work and I'm in the zone five or six or seven hours a day or eight hours a day, even, that's very different than if I'm in the workplace watching the clock for my coffee break, for my lunch break, for my when do I get to go home break. Um, the, the Doobie Associates, Tony and I, several years ago, met with a financial advisor. He had a team of about seven people at the time. His region was the top in the, con in the country, um, and, and the firm was national in scope, or is national in scope. And he said, I'm on a platform, I'm coasting. I show up at the office when I feel like showing up at the office. I know I could do better. And it's time for me to get off this plateau. And so we actually started with his story from the future. And, and along the way, one of the questions we asked was, why do you do this? And he articulated his reasons and, and we said to him, what about the people on your team? He said, I don't know, but maybe I should. His team now is gone from seven to about 30 people as the highest performing team in the company nationally. 
connecting per, one more example. And, and I shared this with you, Stephen, just before we came on air, so to speak, um, doing a group coaching session in, in a company that manufactures construction project products. And we were talking about this very topic and I had a factory owner who said to me, the people in my factory are not manufacturing construction products. They're not manufacturing plywood. They're not running planers and saws and all those kinds of things. He said, what we are doing is helping people live into their dream of owning a home. That's a very different mindset to bring to work. That sure is. I mean, that's like, I mean, it's just uh, to understand there's a bigger picture to what you're doing and to, to get that feeling that goes, it takes you way beyond if you're, if you let it, it takes you way beyond the thought that all I'm trying to do is make enough money so I can hopefully one day achieve retirement. Yeah. That's, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny whenever you run into somebody who really understands that there's a bigger picture to their purpose. Um, and it, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, I've been in restaurants where they've made you feel like, uh, you know, do I have to leave this place? <laughs> this is, you know, this is, this is nice. I got my friend is the waiter. My, my friend is the chef, my, you know, and, and not really, you don't even know who they are, but they've made your evening so special to, you know, having, uh, um, whatever their, you know, I, I know the terms RN and LPN and uh, uh, I think PA and stuff like this, but whatever the positions are, you know, you're in the in the hospital and somebody who takes a step beyond, you know, the idea that you're just somebody who they got to make make sure they check your body, your, your, your sugar level at certain times and wake you up in the middle of the night or something like that, you know, um, but instead take it to understand that you might be feeling, you know, sad or you might be feeling kind of messed up because you don't know where life's going or something like this to helping you to make it through it. Yeah. I mean, just. There are a number of articles. I, I just redug this up for a client yesterday. I think um, a number of articles, if, if you Google them on a research study that was done about custodians in hospitals huh. and some of them do their job. They're custodians in hospitals. And then they were talking to, to some who, you know, one who would go into rooms of comatose patients and she would periodically rotate the art. She said, I, I don't know that it makes a difference, but I feel like it might. There was one who would, she would clean, that was what she was paid to do. But then she would go and visit the patients who never had visitors and spend time with them and make them feel like they, they matter to someone. There was one who would walk into the room and first thing she would do would be to look up at the ceiling. And the researcher said, what's up on the ceiling? She said, that's what I'm looking to check because that's what patients see every day all day. So you, and, and what the, the researchers labeled this as is job crafting. You can take whatever your job is and find purpose in it. 
It's so powerful. I mean, it just, it, it's, you know, because it, it's so beyond the idea that I'm just doing this for a paycheck. And it, and it really makes you understand why some people really excel at what they do. And it's, it's, it's because they understand the bigger picture of what it is or the impact that it might make. I mean, the thing that you're talking about with the, the custodian and the, uh, or, or the person looking at the ceiling in the, in the hospital and the, you know, the looking at the ceiling tiles. I mean, I've been there. Um, you know, I, I told you before we started recording that, uh, you know, I had a situation, I had to have a tumor removed from my head and from my brain. And, you know, it, when you come out of something like that in the beginning, it's really, you know, I couldn't sleep. When I closed my eyes, I had all kinds of monsters in my, in my dream, literally, not Frankenstein or Dracula. It would have been better if they were them. It was, instead, <laughs> it was all these weird creatures and things. And the, the surgeon told me, he said, that's the steroids. He said, just people talk about the same sort of thing. He said, you'll get through it. And, and then other things started happening, but I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lay the one side because that's where the big bandage was and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and then someone goes out of her way to make sure that uh, um, she's helping me get up out of the bed. She's helped me to look out the window and see all the cool things that are right outside my window, like the helicopter pad and stuff like this, or, or then making sure that I, she's helped me actually move myself to the sink so I can brush my teeth and, um, she'd help me do those different things and then go back to bed. And, and in the end, one of the things I, it dawned on me that she was doing was helping me have this better look outlook on everything. And especially when then I found out that the physical therapist had me, wanted me to demonstrate how I was doing so that they could decide whether I stayed in the hospital 14 more days. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, but I was able to pass it because she'd been helping me walk by myself. And uh, which was difficult in those early days. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know, ex I mean, what you're talking about is just so powerful. And when we think about my audience, I mean, in, in the classroom, working with kids, working with, you know, or if you're a, instruct a teacher of adults or whatever it is, I mean, it's, you know, to me, it's just that mindset of understanding that there's that bigger purpose and it does matter. You know, it's, I, you know, it's any number of experiences that we might have where we run into those people who make that, uh, that extra you know, working with you or talking with you. I had a, I had a bus driver when I was in middle school. Well, those days it would have been junior high. <laughs> so, um, but uh, he, he noticed that on Mondays, some, some Mondays, not every Monday, I might be about three minutes, five minutes late to the bus stop. And he said to me one day, he said, Steve, he goes, how come some Mondays you're late and some days you're not? And and I, and I told him, I said, my parents were divorced. And on those weekends, I said, it's not my dad, but it's me making my dad late, <laughs> running me to the bus stop. I said, I'm driving him nuts. And he, he said, ah, he said, uh, and so he would wait for me. And I mean, he had a discussion with my father and, and, uh, um, and it was just, uh, he did that for me. He didn't, he didn't really know me. He just, and I always remember that man because he took, he took time to care about one of the kids riding on his bus. Yeah. So. And if I can tie that back to, for just a moment to one of the things we were talking about very early on, what's your story? Every time you tell us, you, you felt that story. I could see you feel that story. And that story really helped shape you at that age in terms of how you relate to and care about other people. And so as educators, and we're all educators, whether um, in informal education roles or not, um, 
we should be aware of how when we're interacting with those students at any age, we're shaping stories that they're going to be telling themselves consciously or unconsciously the rest of their lives. And some of those stories will help them really um, succeed. And some of those stories will get in their way of becoming all that they can. Oh, that's so powerful. Uh, I love that. I, you know, uh, we're getting close to finishing up, uh, Brian. I, I just love this conversation. That I, I got Let's talk just a little bit for a second. So we talked about change. We talked about uh, the, you know, what change kind of looks like and story of change and this journey. And we've talked about leadership and leadership not understanding <laughs> the current generations, all this sort of stuff. It sounds like to me like it's a real good reason why people need a coach. Can you talk to the idea about? Why people should welcome a coach in their lives? I have been working with my coach since 2007. And guess what? Every time we meet, there's something that I can work on with him. It might be something small. It might be something significant. Um, coaches don't bring you answers. A good coach brings you all of their wisdom and their experience. You know, I bring all of my understanding about neuroscience and, and the psychology of change and, and the hero's journey, the change journey. But I'm not going to tell you how to move through it. I'm going to work with you to find your path. Um, whether it's it's a small change or a, sometimes we just need a sounding board and sometimes a coach is just a sounding board. But with the questions we ask, for a long time I was a, a consultant. I had to have all the answers. Making the switch to coaching was tough because I don't have the answers. My job is to help you find your answers. And with that background, with that experience, it informs the questions that I will ask you to help you find the answers that are right for yourself. I love it. This is so awesome. I, you know, Brian, we're getting, we're finishing up now. Um, could you sh share with um, our listeners what working with you is like and how someone could connect with you um, if they want to make that a possibility? Well, first of all, Stephen, I never sign up a client without coaching them first. Um, and, and I always schedule a, an hour session, which is my typical coaching session, um, because I want them to experience what it's like working with me. And I want to experience what it's like working with them because the chemistry is not always right. Um, so that's, that's the first part. Um, you're going to get value. If, if you open yourself up to it, you're going to get value out of that hour. If you're that lawyer that I had a, coaching session with once with the end of the hour said, I'm a lawyer. I can argue every side of anything you want. And that's all he did for the hour. Um, I don't think he got a lot of value out of it, but like most people will get value out of, out of that hour. Then if we move forward, typically we are going to um, work uh, an hour every two weeks. That's the work we do in coaching, but you're going to leave with a plan for what you're going to 
do with what we've accomplished over the next two weeks. I'm uh, easiest way to reach me is Brian. That's B R I A N at transforminglives.coach. Excellent. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, so it's easy for them to, to reach out to you. Um, I got, I got a last question that I need to ask you and it, and it goes like this, Brian, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you? Which one? <laughs> nice. Which one? Um, I, I have so many teachers. Um, I, I think that the one that first comes to mind is um, the coach who taught my coaching, my coach training, uh, who's Damien Goldvarg. And Damien is a two-time past president of the International Coaching Federation Board of Directors. And um, his wisdom, his patience with me as I struggled to move from having all the answers to having really good questions, um, and, and his continuing support for me even today is um, beyond words. That's so awesome. I, um, Brian, this has been so cool talking with you. And, and I can't t thank you enough for talking with me, taking time to share your thoughts about coaching, change, and leadership. Um, I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you. This was great. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.